Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today, we're going to find out how dietary patterns and exercise can help fight cancer and also introduce you to the Cancer Health Check. That's just another reason why exercising is so important, and we'll find out how to do it safely. Earlier this week, it was 2 22 and that day was also Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day. We're going to find out all about heart valve disease and where you can go to get more information. We'll also hear from Master Trooper David Peters with the Pennsylvania State Police Troop Inn. He's here to let us know that Sunny Day Camp is back. Also back, Camp Cadet. And Master Trooper Deanna Pekanski, the Public Information Officer with Pennsylvania State Police Troop P. Wilkesbury, has the details on their upcoming Camp Cadet. And she's also joined by Rebecca Ryback, Coordinator of the Northeast Highway Safety Program, with reminders that we all need to be safe drivers. We're going to talk safety. We're going to talk Camp Cadet. Trooper Deanna, let's start with you and tell us about Camp Cadet in your area because a lot of people don't realize that mostly every troop in Pennsylvania has their own. So where and when is yours happening? Our camp is held up in Whitehaven at the YMCA camp. This year it's July 31st through August 5th. So they come up on a Sunday and they're there and they stay overnight. They sleep in cabins there and graduation is held on Friday, August 5th. Now, when we're talking about Camp Cadet, this year you actually have upped the age group. Is that correct? Our camp hasn't. We're still doing 12-year-old to 15-year-old boys and girls. Some of the junior counselors that we allow to come back to help out with the new kids coming in each year might be 16. So they're going to be allowed to come back and help us with the campers coming for the first time. But our camp has always been 12-year-old to 15-year-old. You are out for the past two years due to COVID. Yes, we missed in 2020 and 2021. We didn't have camp, so there was a void there. So we're hoping to get the word out, let people know that, yes, we are having camp again. Ours is at the end of the summer. But we have it out. We're taking applications and I'm going to extend the deadline to accept the applications because some people, I think, still aren't quite sure that we're doing camp this year. And when will that deadline be until? 
I think I'm going to leave it go until like the end of May. Usually I want the applications back by March 31st, but I'm going to have it done till at least April, probably into May. Now, when we're talking about Camp Cadet, for anyone who may not know what goes on there, give us an overview. Well, it's kind of like a mini course of what we get in the academy. We have them come in. They're responsible for keeping their cabins clean keeping their beds made, keeping track of their supplies. We have guest speakers come in. They get to see what we do as troopers in the academy, what we do on the job. We have CERT team come in. We have the helicopters. One of the troopers with his dog, whether it be a bomb dog, a drug dog, will come in. We have um, senators come in and guest speak, and kids get to ask us different things about our job, why we got into it, what we like about it things like that. And we also have speakers from the outside come in from the game commission, all different things just to give kids an idea. If they think they're interested in being a trooper, but then, you know, maybe not, they could also go into the game commission, liquor control enforcement, different things like that. So there's different jobs. We give them a a broad range. When it's all said and done, and you've been involved in these now for many years before the break with, with COVID. So when it's all said and done, What do you get out of the kids who attend Camp Cadet? What do you get as far as their impressions, their feelings, and do they ever get in touch with you afterward? Yes, kids do keep in touch from time to time. You might get an email and they'll say, hey, this helps me going to camp, helped me build my life, what I wanted to do as a career later, you know, when I got in college or taking a different look at things. So Some of them do keep in touch. Some of them ask if they could come up just for a visit at camp to see us. They might see us on the street somewhere and say, hey, I went to Camp Cadet. So that's nice. They do that. And there are kids that come up that have never been around a police officer. So they're kind of nervous or they're scared. Or maybe they did have an encounter with a police officer and it wasn't, you know, the best. Maybe somebody had to be arrested or it could have been, you know, a bad crash where somebody was seriously hurt and it was kind of scary for them. So they get to see us as people. You know, we are humans too. We have families, we have children. So they get to know us, they get to talk to us and they aren't so scared. And they, you know, maybe later in life, they decide, well, I don't want to be a police officer, but if they need us in the future for something, they're going to know where they can go for help. Do you have any prerequisites as far as the campers are concerned that they may need to meet certain requirements? Well, we want them to know that they do run like we do when we're in the academy. We do calisthenics. We get up early in the morning. They're responsible for getting up. They have to keep their rooms clean. Um, it is free. There's no charge for the campers. All they have to do is bring their clothes that they wear, you know, on a daily basis and toiletries, things like that. But camp is free for them and all the food is included and the different things that we do. We have activities there. There's rock climbing. They swim in a pond, different activities that the Y puts on. So everything's included. Cell phones? No cell phones. Okay. That's a good thing you brought that up. That's one of the things they cannot have. No cell phones, no video games, no candy. We don't give them sugar while they're there. No jewelry, no watches, no alarm clocks. No makeup for the girls. That's one. That's our some of our rules that we have at our true P camp cadet. It's better to know before they go because it's a different mindset than they're probably used to in their day to day lives. Yes, we and we let them know about that, and sometimes we let them know, hey, when you come here, we are going to check bags because you know kids are kids, and sometimes they try to sneak things in. And if we find them, we just take them and give them back to them at the end of the week. But second day in, maybe third day, they're like. 
yeah, it's not that bad not having my cell phone or my video game because we keep them busy. They have plenty of activities. They go to bed and we get them up real early in the morning and then they're busy all day. So they're usually tired and don't even miss it. And they're making friends as well with, you know, the people that they're in the cabins with. Well, one more time, give us all the information that anyone would need to know if they want to know about Camp Cadet. And this is Troop P, correct? Yes, Troop P Camp Cadet. They can go on www.campcadetonline.com. They can look for Troop P. They can get the information on there. The application is on there. They can print out or they can email myself at d-p-i-e-k-a-n-f-k-i at pa.gov. And they can ask me the questions that they have and I'll get back with them with that information. And when they fill out their applications, they get a letter in the mail. I Usually it would be April. It might be in May now because I'm going to extend the deadline. And they will get information about where to come in for an interview or orientation. And we'll go over all kinds of information, what they need to bring, what they shouldn't bring, fill out paperwork. They fill out medical paperwork in case somebody might need medication or you know, they're on a vitamin, whatever, we'll fill all that paperwork out. They'll bring that with them and they can let us know, you know, are they still interested or are they not interested? And then they'll get their paperwork for their date to come into camp in a time. And we should also let our listeners know, Troop P takes in what area? We take in Luzon County, Wyoming County, Bradford County, and Sullivan County. Trooper Pekansky, thank you so much for that. Now, let's shift gears. <laughs> What we're going to talk about now is safety, and we hear a lot when we talk about traffic safety, and probably one of the biggest reasons to continue to talk about traffic safety is, and Trooper, you can also weigh in on this, preventing accidents, because I know in your case, this is probably one of the biggest things that people know the Pennsylvania State Police for doing is responding to accidents and other vehicular incidents. True? True. Okay. Rebecca, what do you yeah. say now as far as keeping people safe? And so the trooper can spend more time doing Camp Cadet than she might have to do if she's out there taking care of accidents. Right. This week is actually Highway Safety Law Awareness Week. And during Highway Safety Law Awareness Week, we like to focus on a couple of laws that maybe um, the public are not aware of, or maybe there was some updating of the laws that they need to be aware aware of. So for this year, uh, 2022, we are focusing on distracted driving, impaired driving, speed limit laws, and Pennsylvania's young driver law. So those are the ones that we are highlighting this year. Let's start right there at the end with the Pennsylvania young driver law. What exactly does that mean? In 2020, there were actually almost 5,000 crashes involving 16 or 17-year-old drivers, and there were 26 fatalities. So young drivers, very important thing to talk about. And we just like to remind moms and dads that No, there is a Pennsylvania graduated driver license law. It took effect in 1999 and it was updated in 2011. And the graduated driver license law, there is a, if you look online, especially on PennDOT's website, you can see a fact sheet of some of the things that they need to do. Like they up the hours of daytime driving, they up the hours of nighttime driving and various weather driving. 
that you are not allowed to have anybody in the car under the age of 18 while you're driving, um, practicing. So there are some updated laws with that. And again, they can find that on the PennDOT's Young Driver Safety website. Let's go back now. You also mentioned, of course, some of the others, including distracted driving. And there's that cell phone again. We want to remind everybody that Pennsylvania does have a texting while driving ban. That is a primary offense. Basically, any driver is prohibited from using their cell phone to send, read, or write a text message um, while the vehicle is in motion. Cell phones are very distracting. We know that. But we also want to remind everybody that anything that will distract you from keeping your hands on the wheel your mind on driving and your eyes off the road is distracting. So that's putting on your makeup, changing the radio station, changing the CD in your car, eating, drinking. Maybe you have noisy passengers like little kids. Like obviously that's distracting too, but you just want to make sure that you try to limit your distractions while you are driving. I heard a story yesterday of a member of law enforcement who actually pulled someone over for eating cereal while driving. I was just going to mention that about things with safety. When you're driving, people eat, they're drinking hot coffee, it might spill on them. Smoking is a distraction. Changing the radio station. People look at the radio. Instead of just driving and changing the radio, they think they have to look at it. They're talking on the phone, texting, emailing. People write. Um, They're reading books, doing makeup, shaving. What? Reading a book? You've never seen a man drive using shaver? I see that women do their hair or their makeup and they poke themselves in the eye with mascara. Wow. Distractions, yes, that people should not be doing when they're driving. I'm not even going to go any further with that because once once you see someone shaving, oh, I thought cereal was bad. A lot of people have small dogs. I'm not going to say they don't do it with cats, but they have dogs that they have on their lap or maybe on their left side, closer to the window when they're driving, that's a distraction. You're not supposed to have anything that would impede your driving. So you should not have your animals sitting on your lap or on the armrest on the on the window while you're driving. Jam your brakes on the dog. It's going to go flying, get under your feet. Then you're worried about the dog, and that could cause an accident. So that is a no-no as well. Absolutely. And I will say that your pets, especially, I don't know too much about taking cats because mine is not tolerative at all for going out in the vehicle. But the dog, she has, she's buckled in in the back seat because anything can happen. To remember that too. Okay, Rebecca, what else? I can't imagine that there's (laughs) anything else after that, but what else have we got? We also want to obviously talk about the impaired driving laws. I mean, it's hard to believe that people are still driving impaired, but they are, especially now that you could call an Uber, a Lyft, knowing what we know now, but it does still happen. So we just want to remind everybody that, as they say, you DUI, you can't afford it. And that's the truth because you could pay up to $10,000 in fines, not to mention prison time for driving impaired, especially if someone was injured or killed. So um, we just want to remind everybody that you you obviously should not be driving impaired. And I just want to hammer that in because it's still happening. Exactly. You're right. You still have to talk about it, though. And I bet you any money, the reason is it's never going to happen to me. 
Exactly. That's what they think. They think they're invincible. That does not work out so well. What else do we have? I just wanted to mention that we still have people that I think are not aware of the move over law for anybody that may be a broken down vehicle, a tow truck getting the vehicle, police officers at a crash or pulling someone over, fire trucks, whatever it might be the PennDOT workers. So people need to know that they need to be aware of what's going on on the highways, on the roadways, and their surroundings. If they can, we'd like them to get over into the lane opposite of where the vehicle is either broken down or the first responders are. And if they can't, the speed limit, whatever it is, they should go 15 to 20 miles under the speed limit so they can pass if they cannot get out of their lane at a safe pace because we don't want anybody hurt. And there's a lot of injuries from people getting hit that are out with uh, broken down vehicles or just, you know, like you said, a traffic stop, whatever it might be, or the PennDOT workers. So we just want to make sure people are aware of the move over. I have been seeing more people even moving over if there is a vehicle on the side of the road. Maybe people are just getting used to this now because you never know whether the vehicle has its four ways on or not, but someone could just put that door right open. I'm actually seeing that. So yay to all of the folks out there who are doing that and and acknowledging the fact that the move over law is very important. What else do we have? The last one that we focus on for uh, the Highway Safety Law Awareness Week is just the speed limit laws. Just re- reminding motorists that you need to drive at a reason- reasonable and prudent speed for current conditions. You know, you want to make sure that you follow the speed limit. Uh, you want to make sure that, especially some winter weather coming in, you don't want to drive too fast for conditions. You want to make sure you're aware of, they may lower the speed limit. PennDOT does that a lot, especially on highways. So you want to be aware of that. So uh, we just want to remind everybody that you should not be speeding. Um, you should follow the speed limit. And especially we're not out of the woods yet with the winter weather. You still want to make sure that you're you're not speeding when it's snowing, ice, anything like that. I want to add that um, people should have a ready kit, have an ice scraper, winch, extra windshield wiper fluid, have some batteries with a full, you know, a flashlight in case you had to get out and it was dark and your car stopped working, portable charger for the car. Make sure that your car is gassed up with a full tank, have your cell phone charged so that you have that if you have an emergency, get off the road far enough if you had to pull over because of poor visibility and have some kind of food that isn't going to fire on you, that's not going to go bad on you quickly, like some energy bars, some bottles of water, stuff like that, and medication in case you got stuck on the roadway. So you have that with you so you're prepared. That's another thing because we hear a lot about that during the winter driving season, but it's probably a good idea to modify that all year round because we never know when an accident could happen on an interstate and you're stuck. And you want to have things with you, supplies. And if you're on medication, that's a, that's a big one. If you travel with your animals, you want to have something there for them, something for them to drink or food or snacks for them as well. Because we've heard there have been uh, even recently on the interstates where they have to shut the interstate down until they get the, the things cleared. And recently we had that whiteout condition and fog can happen anytime that can lead to things like that. So, so many things that people should be thinking about, but maybe they don't because we all just take it for granted. Exactly. Right. And like you said, there was a uh, pileup on the interstate near Hazleton on the border of Luzerne County and Schuylkill County just a few days ago when they had that snow squall. 
And you know, they, they, most people, I know I've gotten an alert on my phone, but you know, when you're driving, especially if you're driving distance, you may not expect it. You may hopefully not be looking at your phone while you're driving. So maybe they didn't know there was a snow squall coming through. And unfortunately, there was a few vehicles in a crash. So you really want to just plan ahead and make sure that you have everything you need if you're going to be traveling, especially with these changing weather conditions. All right, Rebecca, Trooper Deanna, I'm going to give either one of you or both of you the last word. What do you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Be safe on the roadways. Be aware of your surroundings. Plan ahead. Don't rush. Just keep yourself safe. Keep your passengers safe. Everybody buckle up. Kids be in their car seats and just get where you're going safely. Rebecca? Like Trooper Deanna said, that we just want to make sure that everybody's safe while they're traveling. Plan ahead. Always wear your seatbelt correctly. And uh, just make sure that you are following the speed limits. Be a defensive driver. Make sure you know what's going on around you. Once again, thanks for joining me to Master Trooper Deanna Pekanski, Public Information Officer with Pennsylvania State Police Troop P. Wilkesbury, as well as Rebecca Ryback, Coordinator of the Northeast Highway Safety Program. And while we're talking about going to camp, Master Trooper David Peters with the Pennsylvania State Police Troop in in Hazleton is here to let us know that... Sunny Day Camp is back. After two years, we're, we're excited for it to be back. Actually, we're excited for all our youth programs to be back. So Sunny Day was really an idea set up uh, by one of our troopers down in the uh, southeast part of the state. And it really was about individuals with special needs or disabilities really not being able to possibly participate in Camp Cadet because of the physical uh, exertion that's there or being able to compete be able to do that physical exertion. So she came up with Sunny Day and it was a, a real good concept that a lot of troops have caught on here in Troop N as well. So it's a, a one-day camp cadet experience for individuals with special needs and disabilities uh, starting at age eight and up. Um, this year is going to be held on Saturday, May 7th. It's held at the Pocono Raceway in Long Pond from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. And again, everything that we have at Camp Cadet, you know, helicopters, uh, our SWAT vehicles, uh, army, horses, whatever resources we have available to us, uh, we bring to the uh, racetrack and they, they are more than welcome to come. It's free for them and their families to come and interact with law enforcement and see everything that, uh, like I said, we have at camp. And this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be within the area of Troop N, correct? Uh, no, I mean, primarily that's, that's you know, some other troops have one as well, but, you know, we, we kind of all figured that there, there's nothing like this for individuals, so they're more than welcome to go to as many as they would like to. So, and we've had people come from all different types of counties, or all different counties, as you say, to, to be a part of this program, and we welcome that. To let people know if they go to our www.troopncampcadet.com, that's the website they can register for uh, Sunny Day. I just click on the link, a new a new box will open, you fill out the application, you hit submit, and that's how you register. That's Master Trooper David Peters, Pennsylvania State Police Troop in, with all the details on Sunny Day Camp back this year. I hope you can stay with me here on Special Edition because when I come back, I'm going to tell you about 02-22-2022. We all know that was a big day for twos earlier this week, but did you also know it was Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day? You do now, and I have the details next on Special Edition. 
Welcome back to Special Edition. This year, February 22nd, was a very special one because of the date. But every February 22nd, which happens during American Heart Month, is dedicated to heart valve disease awareness. It's a day where we learn about heart valve disease. It was the sixth year for the day this year, and the most important message that was getting out there was, you should listen to your heart regularly. Joining me now, Lindsay Clark. She's the Vice President of Health Education and Advocacy for the Alliance for Aging Research. Lindsay is going to tell us about some of the risk factors as far as heart valve disease is concerned and how patients can be successfully treated if it's caught in time. Lindsay, obviously February is heart month. People think about that, but we don't think about heart valves I don't think, do we? No, I. you're right. A lot of people don't. When people think about heart disease, they're usually thinking about heart attacks or congestive heart failure. And there's little public awareness of heart valve disease. In fact, we did research that shows that three out of four people know little to nothing about it, and which is why we started this campaign. So the goal of the campaign is to raise awareness about the risk factors and the symptoms and we're joined um, every year by about 110 national and international partners who are dedicated to raising awareness and saving lives. So how would someone know that heart valve disease is even in their life? Well, they might not. So it's important to know our risk factors. Uh, the most common risk factor is age. So we know that one in 10 people over the age of 75 suffer from moderate to severe heart valve disease. It can also be something that there's a congenital abnormality at birth that can lead to valve disease down the road. Um, it can develop from wear and tear, from infection that impacts the heart. There's even some radiation and chemotherapy treatments that can lead um, that can lead to valve disease. Plus, the things that we normally think about for heart disease, uh, so diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, um, heart failure, those also increase the risk of heart valve disease. So people really need to know their risk factors. Um, they may also experience symptoms, so they need to watch for those symptoms, such as lightheadedness, irregular heartbeat, shortness of breath, tiredness, just not feeling like oneself. Um, but there's also people who don't experience symptoms at all, which is why the theme of Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day is listen to your heart. So do pay attention to your body, pay attention to those risk factors, but also get your heart listened to by your healthcare professional regularly. When a lot of times we go to healthcare professionals, and of course, for most of the things that you mentioned, in particular, the uh, weight and the high blood pressure and the diabetes, you, you you hear professionals and they'll talk about your heart, but... Are you supposed to say, what about my heart valves? Because it sometimes that just doesn't seem to be like we, we think of it all as the same thing. We do. And as long as you're, if someone is listening to your heart and looking for those risk factors, they're also going to catch the valve disease. But sometimes we go to the doctor and they don't listen to our hearts or sometimes we don't go for our annual exams. And that's happening even more right now during the pandemic. We know that people are skipping and delaying all sorts of medical care, including those routine physicals. So this is why we want to encourage people to get back to those appointments, make sure they're getting the care they need and having their hearts listened to. 
And when we're talking about this heart valve disease awareness day, this is probably for many people the first time that they're actually hearing heart valve disease is a concern. So it's the sixth year. What have you seen change, Lindsay, from the first time you started this to today? More awareness, more questions? That's a great question. We have seen an increase in awareness. We've seen people who are have been previously diagnosed who are joining the campaign and wanting to lend their voices to this effort. And we've also seen a a really big change in the way that valve disease is treated. So it used to be that valve disease could only be treated through surgery, um, but there's increasingly new types of less invasive options for treatment that make it really easy <laughs> to get your heart valve disease treated and lead to really successful outcomes. And I think a lot of people may hear this. And when you mention the fact of surgery, there has been a lot of surgeries performed using things like pig valves and valves that are manufactured. So that, I'm guessing, is going to be the end stage of any of this that you're trying to prevent? Right. So it really depends on the type of valve disease. So all four of the heart's valves can be impacted and have valve disease. So it depends on what kind. It depends on how far along. It depends on the person as to what their treatment will be. But ultimately, it may lead to needing that valve repaired or what you're talking about is replaced. And in that case, either surgically or you know, through a vein, uh, they can go up minimally invasive way and, and actually replace that valve um, with a manufactured valve. Okay. And also tell us about the Alliance for Aging Research. I think you must have some fascinating information because, again, everything keeps changing. So where did all that start? Well, it started over 35 years ago, and we really wanted to make sure that people were getting the not only the support that they needed through a lot of the fabulous systems we have to support uh, older adults in retirement, like Medicare and Social, Social Security, but also that we were uh, looking at the innovation and the research that could really lead to more independent lives. And so we at the Alliance for Aging Research um, work to accelerate research that will enhance the experience of aging and health for all older adults. And, and I personally lead our efforts to educate consumers and patients and caregivers about the many diseases and conditions that we can face as we grow older and empower them to take charge of their health. And since this is something that maybe, again, many people are just, even though you've been around since 1986, maybe people are just hearing from this because there are so many out there that you were, we're always hearing about new this, new that. Where can people find you if they would like to find more information? And since research is in your name, do you look for feedback and maybe even volunteers for studies? That's a great question and, and often a confusing part of our name. We don't actually do the research. We support the research and we educate older adults about the innovations um, in, in a lot of the diseases and conditions that they're facing. Um, but I'd love for people to check us out. We're at agingresearch.org. And then also for Valve Disease Day, if people want to learn more specifically about valve disease or they want to learn how they can get involved with the campaign, they can go to valvediseaseday.org. And is that going to be there, Lindsay, after Valve Disease Day? 
Absolutely. We have this day because it's a great way for us all to come together on one day, but we educate people about valve disease throughout the year. So that website will always be there, will always be there, and we'll be out there spreading the messages of the campaign throughout the year. Excellent. Lindsay, is there anything that you think we may have missed that you would like our listeners to know about? I really just want to remind people that they need to get their hearts listened to. They need to pay attention to their bodies and they need to be going back to that regular care. It's safe to do so. It's it's necessary and we really want people to be listening to their hearts. Thanks once again to Lindsay Clark. And don't forget, ValveDiseaseDay.org has all the information. Coming up next on Special Edition, we're going to find out about fighting cancer. That's next. Welcome back to Special Edition. It was 1982 when the American Institute for Cancer Research was founded. Since then, they have been able to help transform cancer prevention in order to find out that diet and exercise do play a part. Now I'm joined by Dr. Nigel Brockton. He is the Vice President of Research at the American Institute for Cancer Research with the details. We hear so much about cancer, Dr. Brockton, but what can we do? Some people say it's inevitable, but what can we do in order to prevent it? Well, we know that uh, approximately 40% of cancers are preventable through diet and health choices. So there is certainly... Uh, something you can do about it. There are lots of things you can do about it. And that really starts with lifestyle habits regarding uh, physical activity, body weight, and diet, uh, and screening and, and vaccination. But all of those things together, not smoking, uh, reducing sun exposure, uh, can prevent approximately 40% of cancer. So the American Institute for Cancer Research has the 10 cancer prevention recommendations, and we now have compelling evidence that following those recommendations significantly reduces your cancer risk. Well, let's talk about some of those recommendations. What are they? So the, the first one is to be a, a healthy weight and avoid weight gain in adult life. And obviously that's a, a challenge in today's society uh, with some of the the food choices that are available and the limitations on physical activity, but there certainly are ways to get past that. Uh, second uh, recommendation is to be physically active. Then we have recommendations that are really focused around diet and just trying to break the diet down. Because if you just say to someone, eat a healthy diet, that means a lot of different things to different people. It so sure does. <laughs> eating, a di- <laughs> eating a diet that's rich in whole grains, fruits and vegetables and beans, Limiting fast food, uh, limit consumption of red and processed meat, limit consumption of sugar sweetened beverages, uh, limit alcohol, uh, and then you know don't use supplements to, uh, for cancer prevention. There are reasons, some reasons for taking supplements, but cancer prevention is not one of them. Uh, for mothers, breastfeed your baby if you can, and all of these recommendations apply after a diagnosis as well to improve your outcomes and overall health. When you're talking about the recommendations, are they for general cancer or are they for specific cancer risks? Because again, we hear so much colorectal cancer, breast cancer, even pancreatic cancer. So are there certain targets for those? So there are, they are for all cancers, but there are some that apply more to certain cancers. So for instance, 
um, the bread and processed meat is particularly important for colorectal cancer. Um, but for instance, uh, having overweight or obesity is a risk factor for 12 different types of cancer. So these are really the, the factors for which we have strong evidence for cancers overall. Because you don't know, you also don't know what cancer you're going to get when you're just trying to prevent yourself getting cancer. You know, there are there are over 200 types of cancer, so um, you're just trying to reduce your risk overall. And of course, when we're talking about all those different cancers, sometimes there is a familial predisposition to cancer if something is in the family. So, would knowing about uh, cancers and and what other members of your family might have would that also play a part in being able to uh, keep it away? Certainly does, and this is really you know, one of the things about cancer prevention over the last well, AIC, American Institute of Cancer Research has been around since uh, 1982, and so this is 40 years that uh, we've been at this job. And uh, things have changed dramatically. And even in the last few years, when we published the third expert report, which is the most comprehensive analysis of cancer risk uh, through lifestyle uh, that's ever been done, uh, we, at that point, we still didn't have the, the strong evidence about how these things affected people at higher genetic risk. So those are people with familial mutations and strong family histories. And now the evidence is coming out that it has a stronger effect in those high-risk situations. And intuitively, that makes sense, but it also could have gone the other way, where genetics overwhelmed lifestyle. But now we're getting that evidence to really show that you are a a master of your own destiny to, to a large extent. So if you do have that familial risk, it's not just a case of throw your hands up and accept your fate. It's even more important to do something about it. One of the things I found, well, many of the things I found interesting when I looked at the uh, AICR.org site was the Cancer Health Check, and it's a simple online tool. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a a great little tool just to um, do a sort of health check on your your daily habits, so it's just a, a collection of questions, and you, you get a smiley face if you're meeting the recommendations, and a neutral face if you're partially meeting them, and a, an upside down you know, frowny face uh, if you if you're not meeting them. But it's just a really simple way to think. You know, am I at a healthy weight? Am I getting enough physical activity? Do I eat enough vegetables? Um, how often do I eat? Uh, fast food and processed food, um, you know, red meat and processed meat intake, alcohol, all the, all of the factors that are covered in our recommendations. Uh, and then it gives you some little snippets of information and then some suggestions of how you could uh, make some easy changes. And that really feeds into the Healthy 10 Challenge, which is a 10-week online, absolutely free program to help you make those positive, beneficial changes. And probably one of the biggest things about that cancer health check is being honest in order to 
not just get that smiley face because you want to, but because you're honest enough to say that this is true and have to deal with that frowny face sometimes. Tell us a little bit more about that healthy 10 challenge. That sounds like, I I guess for some it would be fun, but it sure sounds like it would be very educational. It is very educational and it has all the resources built into it. You sign up, and actually doing the, the cancer health check is that first step uh, as a sort of feeder to it. Um, and each week really focuses on a different recommendation uh, and how you can make changes that can help you meet that recommendation. And that includes recipes and tips and, and education around that risk factor and that recommendation. So, and, it, and it's absolutely free. And there's also online help if you need it. Uh, so for, for people, you know, you need to want to make those changes, uh, but it's a really easy, realistic way. You're not, we're not trying to get people to suddenly start running marathons or go on some crazy diet. This is about building sustainable habits. And once again, I just would like you to reiterate the, um, some of the things that people would be able to do as far as making the changes. And I know one of them you said was limit sun exposure and, of course, your diet. Does the way you think also have something to do? Because, again, as we mentioned in the very beginning, so many people just think it's inevitable, it's going to happen, or they find out that they do have a a family concern. So does that also play a part in it as well? I think it's very important for people to realize that they they can control their cancer risk. And that's one of the huge changes that's happened in the last three or four decades, where when when the idea that you could control your cancer risk was first proposed, it, there was a lot of resistance. You know, people knew about smoking, but not so much about lifestyle facts. But there certainly isn't. Coming back to your point that if people don't feel there's any any chance to change their risk, then they're much less likely to do it. But we're here to tell people you can change your risk, and these are the things you can do about it. Try yeah. so avoid weight gain, be physically active, build these things into your everyday life. Look at the you know, use the cancer health check, see where you can make those little changes, uh, and and do them incrementally. You know this is. A call for action, not for perfection. Well, you certainly have learned a lot in the 40 years that the uh, cancer, Amer- the American Institute for Cancer Research has been around. And I hope that we'll have you back before the next 40 years, Dr. Brockton. <laughs> Thank you very much. Delighted to come back anytime. Thank you. And you have a wonderful day. I'm going to go do my health check right now. <laughs> and you take care. As you just heard Dr. Nigel Brockton tell us, exercise is important, so we need to do it safely. Don Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, has some tips. Still that chill in the air, and of course, that means a lot of us. I've got my hand raised, Don. I don't like to be outdoors when it's cold at all, but you have some suggestions on how folks can do it and safely. Yes. So it is very important when it's snowy and icy to take extra time to plan your activities outside. So you want to make sure that you're, if you are going to be exercising, you're going to look at the route that you're going to take, make sure it's 
cleared of snow and ice, make sure it's been treated. Um, or even if you're just shoveling your, your walk, you're going to need to look at your shoes, make sure you have good shoes with good sturdy treads on them to avoid slipping. You said it, slipping is probably one of the greatest concerns when folks are outside, especially when the temperatures dip. But let's talk about some of those other concerns that people might not even realize, hypothermia and frostbite. Let's start with hypothermia. Sure. So hypothermia is something you have to worry about when the wind chills get low. And the biggest thing that you have to worry about is that especially in elderly people, it can cause things like confusion and dizziness, and then it's just going to get worse. So one of the things you kind of have to think about are if you ever come across someone outside and they seem to be, you know, confused or just not quite understanding what you're saying, they may have hypothermia. So that's one of the things that you need to look at. If they're not moving well, they don't seem like they're thinking clearly. So that makes it especially dangerous. So the other symptoms to look for are shivering, exhaustion, slurred speech, jitteriness, um, and sometimes they even have bright red, cold skin. If someone has hypothermia, would they know it? No, not likely because they start to get confused. So what you want to do if you do think someone may have hypothermia is you want to move them inside where it's warm and you want to take their temperature. So if it's less than 95 degrees, then they need to go to the um, emergency room. You want to, in the meantime, get them nice and warm, um, give them something warm to drink. So you want to warm the center of the body, the chest, the head, the neck. So you can use an electric blanket, skin-to-skin contact, and like I said, warm beverages also. Do you have any idea how hypothermia comes on? Does it take a while? Is it because you're wet? How does that happen? So hypothermia occurs when you are outside exposed to cold temperatures and your body starts to lose heat faster than it can reproduce it. And it's most often outside when someone is also wet. So if they were sweaty and and kept those sweaty clothes on, or if it was raining and also very cold. So that's the most common reason for it to happen because they're wet and cold and that wetness will hold the coldness in. And that's why people get concerned if they find someone who maybe has fallen through the ice that hypothermia could set in? Yes, absolutely. Let's move on to frostbite then, because again, something that we hear a lot about, but how would we know we have that? So frostbite's a little bit easier to determine. Um, The first sign of it is going to be redness and pain, and it's going to be on exposed skin. So if someone doesn't have gloves on, it'll be on their fingers. Or if they don't have a face covering on, it might be, you know, their ears or their nose. Um, So that's what's going to happen first. After that, once it actually starts to get worse, the skin's going to start to feel firm or waxy um, and then eventually numb and, and it'll become a white or gray or even a yellow color. And a lot of times the victim who has the frostbite, they don't even realize it because at first it was painful, but then it becomes numb. And again, how would you know that frostbite is a possibility? Because you mentioned not wearing gloves, but is it possible in other extremities, even if they're covered? The thing I think of my feet, because my feet are always cold. Yes, 
it definitely is possible, especially in someone who is a diabetic or has any type of condition that causes the numbness and the feet, the peripheral neuropathy. So yes, um, really, if the skin feels firm or waxy, feels numb, or is even um, painful, any of those you want to get checked out. And a lot of times I think we think that maybe frostbite only happens when it's windy. Wind definitely makes it worse, but again, it's the wetness too. So, so wetness is is really what kind of sets all these factors in. Because when your skin is wet, or when it has even wet socks on it, or you know that first layer of clothing touching your skin, when that gets wet, that's when these dangerous things happen. Because your skin is much much harder to heat if it is wet. When you say outdoor exercise. We're not really necessarily talking about going for a walk. Outdoor exercise could be shoveling snow, could be snow blowing, could be a lot of other things too, even outdoor activities like skiing or ice skating. Yes, absolutely. Anything that you would be doing outside. All right, Dawn, wrap it up then for us, for our listeners, so that they can be safe when it comes to outdoor exercise. Prevention is best. You want to wear multiple layers. If the layers ever get wet, you need to change them immediately. And then also don't forget if you're outside um, early in the morning or later at night when it's a little bit darker, make sure you wear um, high visibility or reflective clothing. Um, Safety is best. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 